God's Plan for Victory, The Meaning of Postmillennialism, by R.J. Restuni, narrated by Jeremy Walker, produced with permission by the Chalcedon Foundation. Chapter 5, Economics and Eschatology. Very early in his student days, this writer, with missionary zeal, began giving books to various persons if they promised to read them. This practice became a considerable one in later years, when funds allowed more generosity and has only been terminated of late. The books donated have covered a variety of subjects, religion and theology, philosophy, science, history, poetry, sociology, and much more. One variety of book has been very difficult to give away, economics. The recipients of these books have been students, clergymen, housewives, professors, and men in various callings. Whatever their station or calling in life, a book on economics has been a little or no interest to them. This is not because books on economics are more difficult than others. Some of the writers I have suggested have been models of clarity and simplicity. More than a few agencies have dedicated themselves to furthering economic knowledge. The Foundation for Economic Education has done outstanding work, and the Christian Freedom Foundation as well. In particular, the William Volcker Fund for years subsidized the publication and distribution of notable works in economics. The work of these and other foundations, while highly competent, has not produced the results the same expenditures could have achieved and have achieved in other areas. Why is there a disinterest in or resistance to economics? And why has it for generations been called, quote, the dismal science, unquote? Why do men find the subject uninteresting when it is so important to their daily lives? Schools require students to take a course in psychology, usually of more than dubious value, or geometry, which few people ever use. Many colleges require some laboratory work in the sciences, and students, most of whom will never become scientists, annually dissect thousands of hapless frogs and other animals as part of their education. The curriculum is heavily cluttered with requirements which are useless to most people. Every person must reckon with economic facts, and yet as a general rule, schools do not require economics. The roots of this paradox lie deep in our culture and in every culture. The roots are in a large measure Manichaean and Neoplatonic. They feed on a distaste for the real world of material things and rest in a preference for a world of pure spirit. Since Hegel, the modern world has been deeply infected by such thinking, so that, no less than certain aspects of, quote, medieval, unquote, culture, it is otherworldly. The difference now is that the other world is not a world of Platonic or Aristotelian universals, but the world of man's imagination and planning, without any pretext of a realm of universals. This modern idealism does not like classical economics because it posits and requires a universe of laws. It insists on a reality other than man's imagination. To cite an example, in the very beginning of the 1960s, when this writer spoke of the coming disappearance of silver coins, a fact obvious to anyone mindful of classical economics, the usual response was a denial that the rising price of silver would lead to a disappearance of silver coins when their value in silver content equaled and then exceeded their face value. Later, when the clad coins of baser metals were used in 1965, it was regularly insisted that Gershman's law would not operate. 
When both things happened, i.e., the rising price of silver led to the abandonment of silver coinage, and the bad money, clad coins, drove out the silver coins, the set response was still a refusal to accept any economic law as operative. Instead, it was held, things happened the way they did only because too many people still believed in the old economics and therefore made it happen. All determination was seen as coming from the mind of man. From a biblical point of view, all determination comes rather from God, and His ordering of all things is the law structure of creation. The humanists insist that the ordering comes from the mind of man. As long as man still believes in the, quote, myths, unquote, of the old economics, he will make them work. When men believe in the new economics, then the new economics will work. This idealism, the belief that the mind and ideas of man are determinative of reality, is basic to the modern world view. Where this idealism prevails, a society will be essentially political and sociological in orientation rather than theological and economic. In a political society, man's hope is tied to legislation and to acts of state. Success does not depend on obedience to God's law in every realm, nor is man tied to the hard material realities of economics, such as supply and demand. Instead, man can legislate new realities by acts of state. Order is to be created, not complied with. If Gershom's law is true, then order means compliance with that economic reality, not the creation of an idea of order by elite planners. If, quote, thou shalt not steal, unquote, and the Sabbath law are parts of an ultimate and inescapable order, we either comply with them or suffer certain disorders. To say that order is to be created rather than complied with means that the mind of man must create it. If an ultimate order is already true, created by God, and man's duty is compliance with it, i.e. obedience to God's law, then man's social goal is to seek harmony with that ultimate order. However, if all around us we have, quote, universe, unquote, of disorder, into which the mind of man must bring order, then conflict is the appointed way. Conflict, then, is also twofold. First, there is conflict with the world of disorder around us. Instead of harmony with the ultimate order, we're at war with ultimate disorder around us. Second, it means also conflict with men who may disagree with the humanistic state's idea of order, since order depends on the mind of man. Recalcitrant men must either be converted to the true humanistic faith or else punished, placed in prison, or executed to eliminate the potentiality for disorder. Instead of harmony, conflict becomes the way to order, and the result is a conflict society. Religiously, this humanistic emphasis on conflict means the exaltation of the powers of evil and of Antichrist. Evil becomes determinative in a very powerful way because determination and ultimacy have been transferred to the created world, to the world of men essentially, and the sovereignty and the predestinating power of God have been denied. In Scripture, the only valid definition of, quote, Antichrist, unquote, is anyone and everyone who denies that Christ has come in the flesh, 1 John 4, 3, i.e., all who deny the reality of the Incarnation. The Bible does not give us a one person of Antichrist who shall rule the world. This is a myth, and is a myth which exalts the powers of man against God. Similarly, 
In Scripture, Satan is a creature, a fallen creature. Because he is a creature, Satan, like all creatures, has a purely local appearance. He cannot be in more than one place at a time. He cannot thus be tempting me in California and another man in Vienna at one and the same time. His approach to any man is at best severely limited, however real. Too many men are ready to blame the devil for their sins when, the truth is, they needed no help in committing them, only an excuse. The devil, like man, is a creature. When man exalts the creature, he only exalts himself, his political fabrications, and also the devil. When Aristilian thought was revived by scholasticism, Christendom saw the rise of strong and humanistic political orders and also saw the marked rise at the same time in witches, occultism, and in Satanism. Satan became a great power simultaneously with the late, quote, medieval, unquote, and Renaissance tyrants. Similarly, the rise of the 20th century totalitarian state has also seen the simultaneous revival of magic, witchcraft, occultism, and Satanism. The kingdom of man is a kingdom of the creature, and it flourishes both in this world and in the afterlife at one and the same time. Its pretensions are common to both rise and fall together. This means that the idealist must have a politically controlled reality, not a free market economy. The Bible says, concerning the creation of man, that he was created out of the dust of the earth, the dust having been previously made by God, and that man is tied to the dust and returns to it. To accept this fact about ourselves means that we accept also the fact that our economics, like our lives, are tied to the material realities, not as a penalty, but as a normal and natural circumstance. Instead of rebelling against it, we recognize that life means precisely that for us, and life is good. Economics, thus, is a barometer. Interest in it marks sound eschatology, normally. Disinterest in it means an element of Neoplatonist or Manichaean thinking.